speaking of sons and daughters, speaking of this theme of sons and daughters, and of course, in that subject and in that vein, we, we looked at our Father, we looked at our Heavenly Father, and trying to get the true vision, true perspective of who He is, how great He is, how wonderful He is, how good He is, and how He loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son so that He could inherit other sons and daughters. Jesus was the first in that sense, but now many others, all of us have come into a relationship as a son, as a daughter, through what Jesus did on the cross for us. But I'm also mindful of the fact that, I mean, this could be a challenging word this morning. This is a, this is a word, this is a message that I have, that I have, carried burning in my heart for 10 years. And I have, I have given it many times. Never the same. <laughs> it's never the same. But it's the same truth. Because I think we talk about what it means to be a son or daughter of our father and what comes with that that maybe we forget about or don't think about that much is responsibility. The responsibility of a son. The responsibility of being named with the family name and given the family business. You've been given the family business. You've been given the family name. You have come in. You have been adopted into. You have been brought into this family through the blood of Jesus. And yet with that, there's responsibility. When we see the royal family in, in London and we see all of the, the drama and the soap operas of that, and yet we realize that when they, are, when they are in that family, they are under the microscope of the world. They really are. And they all carry with them a burden or a responsibility, an image, if you will. And they are judged on it and criticized for it or they're praised for it or whatever it is or they're envied for it. But when we come into the family of God, do you realize in the scriptures and, and from the scriptures, God gives us a mandate as a son, as a daughter. And do we also understand, have you ever thought about God has dreams? God has dreams. God has desires. And he wants to see those dreams and those desires come to pass. So I'll go with me this morning a little bit in this title of the message. It's imagine. Imagine this. Imagine a church. The church that is Jesus' church. This is his church, not anybody else's church. It's his church. Imagine that church that truly reflects our perfect father. Even through our imperfections. That's the miracle of it, isn't it? That we have a grace on our life. We have a, 
a saving grace on our life, a keeping grace on our life, an empowering working grace of God on our life that we can, in fact, reflect the image of our perfect heavenly Father. This, to me, is living as true sons and daughters. We are truly living as sons and daughters when we are reflecting the image of the true father. Because right now, who is our audience? Our audience is the world. But our audience is somebody that's the next generation. There is another generation after us and definitely after me. There is another generation that is looking to their previous generation. And they are sizing it up. Saying, yes, I want to be like that. Or no, I don't want to be like that. Whatever it is. They are sizing it up. Jesus said, I will build my church. We quote that a lot. That Jesus said, I will build my church. Ephesians 5.27 in the Amplified, this is what Jesus thinks about his church, which that's his sons and daughters. Think of it like that, okay? Who's the church? Sons and daughters. A house full of sons and daughters. Ephesians 5.27, so that in turn, he might present the church to himself. Think he has a dream? Think he has a desire for his church? He might present the church to himself in glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she, she is the church, would be holy, set apart for God and blameless. This is the church that Jesus is building. Jesus is preparing it every day. Every day we are undergoing a preparation through, through the power of God, through the mercy of God, through the blood of Christ, through all of those things meant for our sanctification, our purity, our holiness, to make him us like him so that we can accurately and purely reflect him in the earth. That he's not way up there. He's right there in flesh and blood. Now, these next verses here, I, this morning I'm calling them the inescapable commands. I, t I mentioned to you responsibility. I would love to represent the Father, right? I, I, I would trust that God would make me attractive, not repelling, that he would make me attractive, that truly Jesus would be drawing people to himself in and through me, by what I say, by what I do, but most of all, who I am, my person. So these inescapable commands, we get little hints, and these are, this is not an exhaustible list. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. You're a son or daughter. So what do sons and daughters do? They imitate their father. 
You don't think an Annabelle is imitating dad? You don't think an Isabel is imitating Elena? The parents, they are watching you. And they love to imitate. But that's what we're to do. As we see the Father, so we may also imitate what we see. 1 John 2, 5, and 6, a strong word. Those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him with obedience. That is how we know that we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Imitation. We always say, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like the Father. To be like Jesus is to be like the Father. Ephesians 5.10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. I wonder how often we do that. Carefully. Carefully. Not mindlessly. Not putting it on overdrive. Not assuming you know. But carefully determine, is this pleasing? Let the Holy Spirit talk to you. I believe we need to regain our sensibilities to the speaking of the Holy Spirit. We need to regain some sensitivities. So easy to let our heart become hard or cold, indifferent. Ephesians 1, 4, 1 and 2 these scriptures aren't new, but they are, they're new today. <laughs> Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Worthy of your calling. Worthy of your calling. My calling is to be like the Father, to represent the Father's heart to a generation that has not yet seen him and does not yet know him. And there are blocks in their way. There are hindrances. There are many voices. There's many distractions. There's many so-called personal my truth. This is my truth. This is your truth. There's truths going on all over the place that people are making claim to as their truth. And yet there's only one truth that they can discover. Worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. We need to get a lot better about that. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Is that in the Bible? Are you reading that out of the Bible? Yes, I, I'm, I'm reading that out of the Bible. We're talking about our responsibility to reflect a good, good father and a father's heart. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Don't worry, this is a setup. These scriptures are setting us up. Colossians 4.6, let your conversation be gracious. And I always like this word, 
attractive. I did a whole series of messages called The Law of Attraction. The Law of Attraction is the person of the Holy Spirit, the anointing that is on your life. That you don't know why people are drawn to you, and yet they are. You think it's something else, you're just your great personality, but it's not. Let it be attractive so that you'll have the right response. The right response for everyone. Are you hearing the scriptures? Don't hear them in the light of this is Christian to Christian. That's not why we're here. Colossians 4, 6 in the message, the goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation. Not pull them down, not cut them out. (laughs) Titus 2, 7 and 8 in the message, but mostly show them all this by doing it yourself. In other words, be the example you want them to be. Be the example you want them to become. Doing it yourself, incorruptible in your teaching. Your words solid and sane. Then anyone who is dead set against us, when he finds nothing weird or misguided, might eventually come around. Just do what you know to do. Do what you know is right. So the house of God, the house of God you realize there's a whole generation out there. There are pockets of younger people who they will tell you they love Jesus. But they really don't care for the institution, what they would call, or how many of you heard organized religion? There's a, there's a gap. There's something missing that they feel like they can't go over into that. They don't see it as Jesus' church. They see it as man's church. Institutionalized organization administration. So they can't seem to, they're not going to be a part of that. In that there is no life. There is nothing authentic. There is nothing real. So they bonded with Christ, but they haven't bonded to the church. That's always been our heart. Jan and I have had so many conversations about this. For them to be able to go over, come over, and see that if it's Jesus' church, the very person of Jesus is found in the members of his church in particular. The house of God, a Christ-like community, it should be the best place for them to restore and build relationships and build their character. That's where it is. That's where it is. So is the church, I've asked the question, is the church really as it ought to be? I told you this could get a little uncomfortable. It's a challenge. And this is a message to the church. I'm not preaching this to them out there. (laughs) Preaching to us today. Preaching to the choir. But the question is, 
is the church inviting or is it repelling? And that is something that when someone walks in, someone comes in, even if they don't believe in God, there is something inviting about these people. They haven't even believed yet. They don't even believe yet. But again, they're drawn, they're attractive, drawn in. It's inviting. So I'm saying it again. We are, think of yourself, a son and daughter. You are an advocate for the Father. You are an advocate for our good, good heavenly Father right here. That's right. You're campaigning. (laughs) You're campaigning for, for this Father who's touched your life that you want him to also touch their life. You're an advocate. We are, even we have been called ambassadors. Ambassadors. We'll preach on that sometime. To see Jesus is to see our Father. We know that from John 14. We're going there in a minute. To see Jesus is to see our Father. May it be that to see the church is to see Jesus. When people look at the church, what do they see? Do they see you or do they see Jesus? And if they see Jesus, then they see the Father. You see how this works? It's three-dimensional. And then it just cycles through. John 14, 8. Jesus was getting ready to go and it made them all very, the disciples all very unsettled. There were many things spouted off, many things said, but this, this one stuck out to me 10 years ago. Never forgotten it. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Stop right there. I believe deep down inside within the heart of an unfulfilled, unsatisfied, discontent generation of people without God. Deep down inside, they want to ask this. Show us. Would somebody show us? He said that, and then he said, and then we will be satisfied. What is going to satisfy this new generation? What is really going to settle it for them when they really break into a revelation through your life, through the church life? They're going to see the Father, and all of a sudden, they have found it. They are satisfied. Quickly, other translations because it says different things. Lord, show us the Father. And then he says, that is all we need. We'll be satisfied. Some of you older ones remember the Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction. That song could be revised these days because they're singing, I get no satisfaction. But if I see the Father, I'll be satisfied. Or he's, if I show me the Father, that's all I need. 
Another version says, show us the Father and it's enough for us. That'll be enough. More than enough. Show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. Show us the Father and we'll be content. It's all in there. So that's what Philip said to Jesus. And then he turned and his answer came. And he said this. You've been with me all this time. That's a key statement. Because if you want to know the Father, you spend time with him. They were with Jesus all that time. And he said, you still don't understand to see me as to see the Father. Psalm 68.5 has this same kind of narrative in there. It says, enjoy God. Cheer him. Cheer him when you see him. What would happen to worship in the church when all of a sudden we all see him? And we enjoy. We enjoy him because we see him. Father of orphans. Enjoy God. Cheer him when you see him. He's the father of orphans. He's the champion of widows. He's a God in his holy house. God makes homes for the homeless and leads prisoners to freedom. This is God's provision of his house, his home, for his orphans, for his widows, for everyone who has not come into that relationship. Here's a statement for you. It's on the slide, I think. The highest form of honor to our Father is to become like Him and emulate His person on the earth through Jesus and by His Holy Spirit. See, I, I look at this as this. We talk about worshiping God. Oh, all of our life is worship. But when we talk about honoring God, honor God, bring honor to God. What is the best means by which I can bring honor to my Father? And I will either bring honor to Him or I will bring disgrace and reproach. Wow, that's a heavy thing. I told, I told you it was responsibility. We have a high responsibility to honor the Lord. And we honor him. We do honor him through our, our behavior, our mannerism, our words, our heart. It's the highest form to become like him and emulate him. Oh, by the way, it says P.S., it's not like P.S. at the end of a letter. That's Pastor Steve. Yeah, that's a quote, but it's, yes, I'm taking credit. All right, all right. So church, is it inviting or repelling? A new generation, a new generation is looking, it's searching. We need to believe that, that they really are. 
It may seem like they're not, but they are. Where are they looking? Maybe the last place they're looking is in the church. I believe it's way down the list. Way down the list. Why? Why aren't they looking at the church? Why aren't they considering the church? Why aren't they being drawn to the church? Through past narratives of people's criticism and people's ideas and are there, are there myriads of people out there that have been abused, that have been offended, and it hasn't been the grill mill for all of humanity where they've tried to do church and they come out of there beaten and shredded? Yeah, that's true. But it's not too late. Because they're not all like that. They're not all like that. But in their mind, in their heart, one does it, they all do it. You know that, right? The church. They'll even say it like that. The church. What the church did to me. What the church said to me. And it may even be from one elder. One influencer. One leader. Wow. Heavy responsibility. Lord, help us. You know, David prayed in Psalm 51. And you know, I know he prayed, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I quoted that earlier. But he also, he prayed in that prayer that he, would, he had known that he brought reproach for his enemies to criticize God. All because of him and what he did. It's the same with us. It's the same with the church. So they're grossly, I, I say they, a new generation that is grossly offended. Did I get this thought by myself? No, I didn't get this thought by myself. I knew there was something wrong. I knew there was some kind of offense. But then I, I, I said, probably 10 years ago, I was reading a book called Unchristian. It was called Unchristian. And it was this author who had examined why young people don't want to go to church. Why young people have been offended by church. And they don't, they're not attractive. They don't want to come in. And he came up with six different things we're not going to spend a lot of time on. I hope they will ring true with you. But this is what was found. Found in surveys. Found in questioning young people. That the church, first of all, is hypocritical. Because they say one thing and they do another. So they're very skeptical of their moral superior attitudes. Hypocrisy is huge, isn't it? Are there hypocrites in the church? I don't want to go to church. There's hypocrites in the church. Yes, there are. We're, there's a whole bunch of us. We don't mean to pretend sometimes, but, you know, we're all, we're all putting up certain images we're not perfect. We need God. Hypocrites need God. That's all there is to it. I mean, we do that all the time. We'll see somebody on the TV or whatever, you know, and it looks like their life is just awful. It's, you can't even look at it. and You know, you want to be 
critical, and but Janet and I are trying to get in this practice of, oh, they need Jesus so bad. Because that's the truth. That's the truth. Hypocritical. Secondly, too focused on getting new converts. Oh, boy. See how many notches I have in my belt. <laughs> how many people have I witnessed to today? Oh, okay. That kind of stuff draws, it's offensive because they don't feel like you really love me, know me, care about me. I'm a number, I'm a statistic, I'm an assignment. And the next thing you know, we're right in there with the rest of the cults. We're, we're the same people that wear the white shirts and knock on the door when we have this going on. Here's a big one. This generation, they do love all peoples. I, when I say all peoples, I don't mean every one of them. But you know, they, they love the homosexuals. They love the transsexuals. They love that community. That's, that's their religion. Come on. That's their religion that they take a little delight in. What makes them feel a little better. You hear me? So can you imagine if the church is set up to be very, very anti and hostile, mean-spirited, judgmental, Bible thumpers toward all of that. You are not targeting. You're targeting the person. It is personal. It's very personal. So they look at it and they go, I don't like the church. It's very anti-homosexual. Christians are bigoted. They show disdain for gays and lesbians. They're fixated. They are fixated on curing homosexuals and leveraging political solutions against them. So you see how this stuff, what message it really speaks to them. We have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. Am I talking about endorsing behaviors of homosexuals? Absolutely not. But I am talking about loving people. And not all of them are happy that they have same-sex attraction. They're not happy that they have same-sex attractions. They don't know how to get out of it. They want a way out. And they do. All they can do is think, this is normal. This is what mainline says. How about sheltered? They've been offended because they believe... The church, I know this, this stuff's hard. I've, I've lived this, this <laughs> these for, for 10 years. They're sheltered. They're old-fashioned. They're boring. They're out of reach with reality. We don't respond to reality in, appropriate, they, in appropriately complex ways. They prefer simplistic solutions and answers. You know we, we're guilty of that. We just, Throw in a scripture. We're not willing to deal with the grit and grime of people's lives. 
So again, remember, 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 remember our theme this morning. Sons and daughters, we are representing our good father. We can, probably it's no, it's not more necessary than any time than now to ask, well, what, how would Jesus handle it? What G, would Jesus do? How would he deal with a transsexual? How would he deal with that? In the disciples' day, that was, they saw how he would deal with Samaritans. Saw how he would deal with lepers who were impure, unclean. I think he would kind of follow suit with the homosexual. I think he would follow suit and not be too simplistic. He, Jesus loved to go to the heart. Go to the heart. Church, let's get into their heart. And we're not going to get into their heart. They're not going to let us into their heart until they really believe you have loved them and you accept them. And you know what? It's not even good enough to say, well, I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. Oh, that's great. Come on, man, start showing it. The other will take care of itself. The behaviors will take care of itself. It will. They get more of Jesus in them. They get more of Jesus on them. They get more of you with Jesus in you on them. <laughs> yes, I know I'm very soapboxy this morning. Another objection, we're too political. We're overly motivated by a political agenda that promotes political conservative interests and issues. The right-wingers. Oh, I, I, I so wish I could purge this out. Purge this narrative. Purge this, this bent. You know, we, we talk about our, in, during campaign times, they talk about, even in their speeches, if you elect me, I will work for the other side. Right? I will work for the other side. There's no sides. They're all people. They're all lost. They all need Jesus. Regardless of their political persuasions. I don't really give a rip the question is do you love Jesus are you going to heaven or hell are you discovering your purpose do you realize who you are in Christ can your life really make a difference can you love God with all your heart soul mind and strength because I know whatever your persuasions are your belief system your political ideology whatever it is it'll God will take care of that he's going to take care of that He's going to take care of that, especially as they start getting into the word and they'll realize that's the side I'm on right there. And of course, this one covers everything. Judgmental. We do this every day. I don't mean it's all wrong. Believe me, we make judgments. 
Guard your heart. Put it through the filter of the love of God. Don't do anything. Don't think anything. Don't say anything outside the love of God. In everything. Truth with love. Truth with love. Truth with love. Judgmental. We're quick to judge others. We're not honest about our attitudes or our perspectives about other people. They doubt we love people as much as we say we do. And they, of course. And see, of course, this could be our next generation, but this is people in general, right? Everybody's like this. You're like this. I'm like this. So why am I saying that they, we, we have not always projected the image of our good heavenly father, that they have come in, especially into a church setting or a Christian community, and all they do is they get offended. They get offended. And we need to help them work through the offenses. We do. That's our responsibility. We are ambassadors. We are bridge makers. Bridge makers. To help them get in. We're to take the stones off the road. So they don't trip up. I wrote Elena a note on my slides and said, we're not going to get through these slides. Of course, she thinks that's business as usual. Because this is a, this is a big subject to me. I have a lot on it. I have a lot in, in my heart on this. And uh, I'm just praying that we become we become more like Jesus, more like our Father. If we're His son, if we're His daughter, we become like Him. That's why Jesus would make statements like, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And church, if you lose your saltiness, and what is the saltiness? It's the love of God. It really is. That's the attraction. The love, the mercy, the grace of God. go to prayer. Let's go to our own heart. I know this is a yeah, this is kind of an in your face kind of thing. But as a leader and as a pastor, as somebody who has been been at the work in the kingdom of God for over 45 years, I have been searching. I have been frustrated that there was a time I was worried the church was going to die out. We were all going to die. Because there's no new people. There's no young people. Who follows you? Who's going to follow you? Who's going to follow me? Some wiser person said it a long time ago. We're only one generation from extinction. That statement used to bother me then. So I'm looking and I want them, I want to compel them, compel them, compel them. They're not just going to show up. 
It's going to be in your everyday stream of everyday life. If you're in your 60s, don't assume that nobody in their 20s wants to talk to you. That is not true. I, I am very convinced, persuaded. I remember a time it was like that. It was like, oh, brother, who's this old person? You know. But there's something about it these days. There is a searching. There is a hungering for multi-generations to come together. So you 60-year-olds, go out there. You can start that conversation with that 20-year-old. And just, you say, I don't know what to say. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Just be who you are and think about loving them. Take interest in them. I love to get them to talk about themselves. I learn a lot. resonating with you this morning. I hope it is. And I hope you don't look at it as a a big scold, a big rebuke or anything. It's just, it's a sobering take note. There's bigger fish to fry out there. Yes? Let's uh, go to prayer and close your eyes. If there's someone here or if there's someone online, Maybe, maybe you haven't come to Christ because you're carrying an offense. You've been offended by family. You've been offended by churches. You've been offended by religious people. There is something that is just sticking in your craw that you haven't been able to get over. That you think Jesus is like that person or you think God is like that person or was characterized in that offense that you received. Again, I can tell you, he's not. He loves you. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to give all of himself to you as you give yourself to him. And he's, he's inviting you. He's inviting you into his family. He's inviting you into his household. He's inviting you into a relationship with him. And your life will never be the same because you're never going to walk alone again. He will come beside you. He will come in you. He will put his spirit upon you. He will pour his love on you. He will forgive you of your sins. You ask him for forgiveness of sin. You ask him to make you his child. Make you one of his children. He embraces you. He receives you. Pray this with me right now. Lord Jesus, I come to you now. I want to be a part of your family. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I don't want to be an orphan. I don't want to be walking alone. I want to discover the purpose that you've put in my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to save me from my own life. I ask you to bring me into your life. I will serve you. I will love you for the rest of my life. 
I'm saying yes to you, Lord. I let go of every offense I ever had. Lord Jesus, receive me now. Make me your child. you're online, you've accepted Christ, you know what? Look us up. Let us know. Come to us here, 1426 Clovis Avenue. Come to Gateway City Church. Come meet your family because we are. We're family here and you're invited because now you're family too. Come join us. We love you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for your hearts. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Gateway Sermon Podcast at our Gateway City Church, Clovis Campus. We'll be releasing a new episode every week, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out. Gateway City Church is one church that meets in multiple cities. To find us or to learn more, visit mygatewaycity.church. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next week.